if you wanted to get like philosophical again, um, like souls, I know I have a soul. I don't know if anyone else does though. You know, that, like uh, Descartes came up with this idea of Cartesian dualism where like I was talking about it earlier, you have uh, like the soul and then the body and like the soul is like the little guy telling the body what to do, right? Um, but Descartes said this, if you studied philosophy at all or if you even had a history class, you probably heard um, about Descartes and his most famous quote, which is, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. So he knows, like Descartes knows, that he exists. He doesn't know if the world around him exists, though. Like, yeah, that's your true. mind could be lying to you. Like, this could be the Matrix, right? Like, is anything around me actually real? Yeah, um, that, that breaks my brain when I think about so, that shit. So technically, technically, I know I have a soul. Like, I know I'm alive. But is anyone else around me experiencing the same thing? I think, uh, I think everyone is kind of in their own little realities because you can only like observe the universe from your vantage point. And yeah. your vantage point is like totally different than mine. You know, is your blue the same as my blue because you've had different experiences? Maybe not, you know? But I think uh, even if we'll go to the most extreme that like the world around me or the world around you is not real, you should still operate on the assumption that it is because like, let's say, you know, the world isn't real, so I can do whatever I want because there's no, like, there's no such thing as morals, right? Like yeah. none of these people are real, so it doesn't matter if I hurt them. So like I can go out and like rob a bank and technically that's not morally incorrect because the money isn't real, the bank isn't real, and the people I'm stealing from aren't real either. But I'm still gonna end up in prison. Yeah. You know, and it might be a fake prison, but it's still gonna suck. <laughs> so yeah. um, I should and will operate on the assumption that the things around me are true, even if there's no way that I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they aren't. Yeah, that's, a good, that's an interesting theory, honestly. I can't think about whether things are real or fake because it I think with like some philosophical questions it like breaks your it just breaks mind blows. Yeah, like yeah. it like it overcomputes a little bit. Mm. And with something like that where you're asking about like is anything real? That's when it starts to because you start to question everything if it's real or not. Mm. And I think you're right with the sense that like we got, we have to live on the sense that whether we think it's real or not, we have to assume it's real. Yeah. Because there's still the consequences of a real world. But but I do want to say like that we all live in our own sort of like our own sort of reality. Yeah. Like exactly. think of somebody That's what I was saying, th think yeah. of somebody who's colorblind, and you know you might see red, but they just see gray. Mm -hmm. Are they are they wrong, or are you wrong? Yeah. Because what is it? You know, like, if you were to exit the physical body, um, what is red? Because you only know red because you have the eyes that perceive red. And, or, and your What pole. is, like, red outside of, you know, human consciousness? And, like, how do you know it's red? You're told this, this, this you know, vision from our eyes tells us, yeah. gives us this sort of light, and then we perceive it as the color red. And then yeah. we're told, oh, this is what red is. Exactly. We could we could have had, you know, 
It could have been named anything, but we called it Red. Precisely. Yeah. But that's an interesting thing. I know that um, when they were going to name um, Orange, they had a oh, weird... Red, yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is a good segue because, like, you know, I'm a big language nerd, so... Oh, yeah, the linguistics, man. They, they named it after the fruit, yeah. the orange, which was, I think it was some, like, proto-Arabic word, but that, that was the name for orange, and then it was of the fruit orange, and then it spread to Europe, and they uh, used the fruit to describe the color. But before then, it was the color that we now know as orange was called uh, was called red yellow. It's like that's how you would translate it. Yeah, but like, why did they, why did they name it orange? Uh, I I want to say it was between two names. Like it was going to be orange or this. Or maybe I'm thinking of, maybe I'm confusing it with another story. Um, maybe like with a state, like they were going to call it something else. I'll look it up and get the exact thing I'm thinking of. Yeah, I mean it was. Um, this, like, if you look back in, like, history, uh, there's a bunch of, like, really cool stories about color and language. Like, I believe for some time, like, um, some cultures, uh, they had no concept of blue. They just lumped blue and purple together because they were like, hey, this is close enough, and they had no word to distinguish the two. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh and that like goes back into our experiences. Like there's um there's this linguistic uh, theory called the uh, Sapir-Whorf uh, hypothesis, and it was written by two guys named Sapir and Whorf. Their first name currently escapes me. Their first names. Okay. Um, but it basically states that uh, the world around you is shaped by the language you speak. Like what you perceive directly correlates language that you speak like I'll give you an example um, the Eskimo like northern like northwestern North America have like 10 or 20 different words for snow uh, because they live in an environment where snow is super important and you have to distinguish between each of them so you get this cycle of the environment around you shaping your language and then that language as it's passed down through generations and becomes its own thing uh, shaping your perception of the world and that's exactly what happened to color too like um, if you lived in a culture where blue and purple were called the same thing would you be able to distinguish the two but like you through your language haven't been given the tools to do that you know, so you might not be able to like blue, purple, like, oh, they're slightly different shades, but it's the same thing. Right. The only reason that we distinguish between, you know, red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet is because we have the tools, we have the words to distinguish them. If we didn't, then, you know, what would it be? Yeah. I'm sorry. I was looking up like that, what I was trying to look for, like <laughs> what, what? What I was getting confused with. It might have been like how they named Rhode Island. It was going to be like Rhode Island or some weird ass name. And if somebody knows what I'm talking about, please DM me because I'll be dying to know for the last next like couple of weeks. But um, <clears throat> when I think about things like that, like why things are called what they are, 
brings me back to like the root of language yeah. and why we speak the way we speak and why things are the way they are. Not like in the theme of like searching for purpose, but like what's the reasoning behind, like I was looking up like why is orange called orange? And it was like, well, because of the fruit. Okay, well, why is the fruit orange called orange? Yeah. Because if we don't know what the, like there was some, there was at some point that they labeled it, oh, this is an orange. Or like, you know, we have our phones. We're like, oh, we'll call this phone. We'll mm-hmm. call, um, you know, this mouse, mouse. Like, where do these roots come from? And what's the meat? Like, how do we attach meaning to words? And how do they all formulate into a language? Well, uh, Ferdinand de Saussure was the first one to, like, identify what you're talking about. And it's called, like, the concept of the linguistic sign. So language is just assigning uh, arbitrary like signs to things that have meaning. So you have the signifier and the signified. So like let's say like take the word tree for example. You have a tree that is what is signified and then you have the word tree. Like tree as a word is just and all the words that are coming out of my mouth they don't have any meaning other than like arbitrary meaning, right? We just all kind of socially, collectively agreed that every single word means something specific and then we assigned a grammar to all of this and, you know, prepositions and all these different grammatical and uh, words, grammatical rules and vocabulary, right? Like all language is inherently arbitrary, right? They have no true meaning on their own. They have to signify things. So that's the idea of like the linguistic sign. I'm not really doing it justice. Uh, anything Sasor has written is great, brilliant, good man. Uh, but mm, we also have to think about etymology in terms of like the root of language, like uh, orange. Uh, we'll start with that, for example. Like it hasn't always been called an orange. I can look it up on my phone right now, the etymology of orange. Uh, Etymology is just the study of how words change over time. Like, um, words are never the same. Uh, Language is dynamic. Yeah. So let's see, orange etymology. Uh, A quick shout out to Google for this one. So we're we're sponsored by Google in this country. (laughs) We're sponsored by Google, yeah, MIT type flex. But yeah, um, now, Orange, as we know it today, comes from the Persian word narang, which was taken into Arabic, which is narang. I'm sorry, pardon my uh, pronunciation. It was then adopted by the French and became orange, and then, you know, by late Middle English, we had orange. Very cool. Yeah. Which explains why the Spanish word for orange is anaranjado. That's naranja. Yeah, but it's spelled... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it's been a minute since I've I've taken a Spanish class. But... um, yeah, so that's how etymology works. Um, words change over time. Like, goodbye is a medieval abbreviation for God be with ye, you know? Interesting. Yeah, so, like... Do you have more examples? Uh, I have plenty of examples. Like, take any word, look up etymology on Google, and you can, like, have the entire path of, like, what it was called 100 years ago, what it was called 500 years ago. Um, like... 
language like everyone here is probably everyone listening has probably taken a bio class before right and you've had yeah. to learn about evolution and you know the tree of life how yeah. we all every living thing on earth probably shares a common ancestor yeah language is more or less the exact same thing there was some debate whether or not all languages uh, come from the same place or like from the same original linguistic ancestor which we can talk about more I've been dying to talk about this the whole show yeah. we'll get more into it after but just give me a moment here. Um, language is like a family tree. Like our language, uh, German, French, Spanish, I believe Portuguese, Italian, uh, all the dialects of Hindi and uh, Urdu, they all share one common ancestor. That was called uh, Proto-Indo-European, and it was like probably around and being spoken about 3,000 years ago, maybe 2,000. Uh, you can fact check for, fact check that for me. But um, like that all came, I believe most of the Slavic languages too, basically any language in Europe for the most part, and a lot of languages in India came from that common ancestor. Um, so pretty much every word or not every word, but a good chunk of our words uh, are derived from that one original language through one way or another. Do you know what the original language is? Or uh, do we, does anybody know? Nobody knows, actually. Um, so when you do archaeology and you try to find out more about cultures and uh, you're a paleontologist, right? Like trying to figure out like, oh, you know, where's a... Uh, where is this, you know, fossil fall in on the evolutionary tree? Like, is it the ancestor of some other animal or is it like a prehistoric horse or something like that? You, you can't do that with language because you don't actually have any physical artifacts for the most part. You have like some writing, but even then, like writing is a relatively new invention. That is true. Like, um, I believe like, you know, some of the earliest forms of writing were like hieroglyphics, uh, Chinese oracle bones, right? Um, Sanskrit, I believe, is one of the earlier ones, too. Like, human beings were around, like, a long time before yeah. any of those. Or, like, before anyone decided to start writing things down, there were, like, there were people doing things and, you know, having societies. Think about the guy that, think about the that. first person to write something down. Like, yeah, I'm going to write this shit down. Yeah, I'm going to write this shit down, yeah. They're, like, in a podcast, you're like, yeah, I'm going to write this shit down. This shit's deep. Yeah, exactly. But, like, we didn't have that for a long period of time. So that's why language is so hard to study, at least the history of it, because uh, we have no idea what it was like thousands of years ago. We... We don't have recordings of how it was spoken. We don't have, like, a written language for it. Um, there are theories. <clears throat> I think um, we can theorize that there was an original language or not. Um, but it basically boils down to, like, parallel linguistic evolution, in my opinion. Um, and whether or not you support the evidence of that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you an example. So a lot of people, including myself believe that all human beings like have instincts encoded in our brain that like uh, how would I describe it, it like uh, it gives us the capacity to do similar things right yeah when we're faced with a particular stimuli our brain is programmed to respond 
in a way. And we're all programmed to respond that way. It might be true, it might not be true. It's just a theory. Um, but when we apply this to language, we see that even where languages have similarities, it doesn't inherently mean that they're related. Like you have a dolphin and a shark. They look pretty similar and they have, you know, similar bodies with similar functions. But one's a mammal and one's like a fish, right? They have different linguists or excuse me, they have different evolutionary paths and they just coincidentally um, have similar traits, right? And yeah. language is the same thing. Like uh, there's a Japanese particle um, that you can put at the end of sentences. It's pronounced net. And it means like, oh, doesn't it? Isn't that so? Is that right? So like um, you could say like, ah, samui desu ne. It's, it's cold today, isn't it? Um, and we don't really have a particle like that in English. We have like, oh, isn't it? Doesn't it? Isn't that the case? But that's not really, uh, it doesn't have the same weight as ne. But uh, there was this linguist, uh, or there's a professor, I wish I could remember his name. He was on NPR years ago, and it's always stuck with me. Um, but he was having a TED Talk, and he said, um, English, solely by coincidence, has like, now that um, like texting has changed the way we talk, um, it's had a direct impact on uh, how we speak and how we type yeah. and how we communicate. Uh, so he compared the English LOL or lol with Japanese particle ne. Like it used to mean literally laugh out loud. Like, ah, oh, that's funny. But you say like, what are you doing? Doing nothing, lol. Or it's like, isn't it cold out today? Yeah, it's cold, LOL, lol. Like, it's serving the exact same function as ne, but, you know, Japanese and English aren't related as far as we know. It's just a similar situation that, re or like, similar stimuli that requires a similar response. So now we have English particle in quotation marks, LOL. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I recorded an episode with, uh, with Vuj, uh, yesterday he'll be next yeah. week's episode okay he'll come after yours of course um, so he had something interesting to say about eventually the future of language could just be symbols like emojis symbols I, I respectfully disagree but continue that's that's pretty much it like right. that, that in, in theory like our language will become more and more simple like even like you know I think he pointed out that like billboards for example We'll use less and less words. Everything will be kind of like more condensed in the mm. language and more like symbol based. Okay. Well, um, I was talking about this with my uh, linguistics professor today, actually. We were talking about it in class. Um, and she said, or she made a very good point because, you know, for Vuj to make that assumption, that's, you know, that's a pretty smart observation. But just because it becomes simpler in one facet that doesn't like usually uh, in language when you simplify one area another area of it is going to get crazy more complicated like let's use emojis for an example I doubt we will get to a point where emojis have entirely taken over our language absolutely you know because uh, like it's just not practical like you know you can send like, oh, a winky face emoji or an eggplant or something that like, you know, that sends some meaning. Uh, but could you imagine trying to base an entire language on like just emojis? Well, there are way too much interpretation. Yeah, there's a, there's too much interpretation, right? And there's like, 
Uh, there are pictographic and logographic languages like Chinese and Japanese kanji are all, it's, it's not picture writing per se, but they're all symbols that have meanings in certain contexts, which uh, definitely more complex uh, than emoji, but it's a similar concept, you know, loosely. Um, but I don't think um, human language will ever become exclusively symbols without a clear meaning, you know? Uh, you go back to the linguistic sign, there's an arbitrary symbol that, or there's an arbitrary signifier that signifies the signified, like a material thing or something that can be observed. Yeah. And that is like the sign. Um, I don't think emojis do a, like a good job of that because like you said, there's like a lot of room for interpretation. And when you're talking about like poetry and like connotative meaning, connotative meaning, excuse me, uh, within language, um, you know, they're kind of similar to emojis in that way, but there's no like, there's no like universal standard for, uh, you know, emojis, right? When you send one emoji to someone, it might mean a different thing if you send it to someone else, right? Yeah. There's no universal meaning. Um, and yeah, I just, English is definitely going to change because of emojis and because of texting. Yeah. But I don't, I would definitely would not say it's gonna become more simple. No language ever simplifies, you know? No language ever becomes dumb. It's always complex, just in different uh, ways. Like if you look at uh, African-American vernacular English, a lot of people will brush it off as like, oh, you know, it's, it's dumb English, but it's not. It's African-American vernacular English is just as complicated as any other dialect of English or any other language for that matter. It does some things even better than English, I would argue. It just, it's a dialect that evolved for a specific context for a specific people, just like any other language. Okay, so we're talking about language now and yeah. what it could look like in the future. But I remember back in sixth grade, we were learning about like Mesopotamia and like the language that they spoke yeah, and how that language completely died out. And like, it's almost not even spoke about at all. So like, what's interesting to me is how languages are born and how languages die. How they just like, there's some languages that literally nobody speaks. And it makes me think like, is it possible for a language to be revived? Uh, well, the fact that Latin is still being studied in high school is, I guess, proof that a language can be revived. But like, what's the point of it usually? Like, it's cool to learn, quote unquote, uh, like dead languages to like preserve a culture or history or to read uh, documents or understand documents or uh, pieces of history that were created in a particular language. But, you know, um, I think it's, we live in a dynamic world and we as humans also have to be dynamic and that includes language, I think. Uh, like, you know, the language of, like, or rather, English of today is different 
than the English of 10 years ago. Like if you think about the slang that we use and the terms that we use and all the things we have to talk about now compared to what we had to talk about 10 years ago or before that, you know? Yeah. Like language changes on a small scale. It changes like every it changes every, every day. day. Yeah. And there's like vernacular that's really really popular for like a, a year or so. Like the word swag, for example. Swag. Oh man, you're taking me back to 2011. Yeah, like swag was so popular for like 2 years. And now nobody says swag unless if you're saying it ironically. Yeah, swag is is actually a very uh interesting example if you don't mind me going off on a tangent. Well, like the original yeah. isn't like the original meaning for swag is like, you know, like knickknacks and like, you know, like merchandise. Yeah. Um, there's this really interesting thing I've observed uh, when I was a teenager, like looking back on my youth now, uh, you know, I'm getting up, uh, I'm getting up to that big old 2-0. So I guess I can't say I'm, you know, a teenager anymore. Like, you know, wow. I'm as young as I used to be turned into a boomer. But um, oh, no. <laughs> I noticed like Just boomers. <laughs> I, uh, I noticed uh, teenagers, at least from like when I was a teen, would have this tendency of appropriating words from what they perceive to be the upper class uh, and then recontextualizing them uh, for them. Like, if you think about the word swag as one example, or clout as better, oh, like, yeah. the only person who I would hear using clout was my mother, who is, like, you know, a college professor, so she's very verbose and has a very educated, quote-unquote, way of speaking. Yeah. So it's like, oh, clout, that's a fancy word. But then, you know, you hear SoundCloud rappers talking about, like, oh, oh, I got that clout, I got that clout, clout goggles, and, you know, stuff like that. Like, the youth, you know, the, the underbelly of society, quote-unquote, has reappropriated uh, this, you know, very fancy um, uppity term and made it their own. And that was the same thing with swag. Like, who was saying swag outside of swagger? Before like 2010, I can't think of anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they would just say like, "Oh, I got some swag from the, you know, from." Like, the... "Oh, I got some swag." Like, "Oh, that's a big uppity, fancy, verbose word," and then teenagers will take it. It means like something totally different. I got swag, which is like, <laughs> you know, I'll look up the Urban Dictionary for it because I think it'll be interesting okay. to see see what the Urban Dictionary of swag is. Swag. Oh man. Urban Dictionary always knows how to find something funny for it. <laughs> But I don't know. I think you're, I think that's interesting to think about. Like, yeah. oh, it's um, Urban Dictionary. Let me see. It says uh, the new generation's alternative word for cool. The new generation originally used swag to describe anyone thought to carry themselves in a way considered by some to be sexy slash cool. Note considered to be retarded by many others. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oof. Now it is described to be anything to be cool, initiating the irk of previous generations and the members a new generation that disagree with the new words. That's the top definition for swag. If we go down, swag stands for stuff we all get. Typically, when attending an expo for a trade uh, show, you get swag when people at booths hand out free stuff like pens, prizes, etc. Oh, Stuff okay. we all get. That's an interesting one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's actually based on the abbreviation or someone just... I think they just made that up. They just made that up, yeah. A military cool. acad- uh <laughs> A military acronym meaning scientific wild-ass guess. Huh. 
I think that's the one I'll stick with. Yeah, no, I think that's my favorite. That's the one I'm going to use. An alternative term for a pirate's treasure, like booty. Me me holds are bursting with swag. Very nice. I think that's enough for today. Um, Oh, uh, the slang word originated from Shakespeare's use of swaggering in a midsummer night dream. It is not used in the same manner, but that's the first time it appears in the English language. Oh, okay. Very cool, very Very cool. Very cool, very cool. I first heard it, um, um, it was from a dubstep song called um, Swagger, called uh, Guess I Got My Swagger Back, I think. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm probably wrong when I say that, but that's, that's, when I, that's my first early memory of swag. As I, mm. as I get older and my years, my memory starts to fade. I'm now officially 21 years old, and I'm only going to get older. And as that happens, I'm going to have some crazy memories. And I'm probably going to get crazier. Crazy. Truly wild. And, you know, I've spent just about two hours with you. And just I, about. I feel, and just I feel about. like I've aged very nicely in those two hours. Well, are you saying I'm boring? Come on. No. Like gray hairs? No, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. <laughs> all right, all right. But, unfortunately, uh, our reservation is uh, dying now. So we have maybe enough time for one more segment. All right, uh, one more. Uh, final thoughts. Um, shoot. Final thoughts. Okay. Man, I mean, what a time it was. So if you if you had to make up a new word for teenagers to use, what would it be? A new word? Yeah. For what? Just, I don't know, cool just swag but you know newer and better maybe like instead of using the word swag they use the word verbosis verbosis all right all right i'm gonna make sure i know what the exact word is um i mean personally i like gnarly like i know we've you know we've oh, already that's already that. that's already a phase Coop. yeah no i got i got stuck on gnarly i don't even know what verbosis means to be honest it looks like it's a it's a browser-based uh, editor, so I mean, verbose just means big fancy words. Really? Yeah. Are using or expressing more words than are needed? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we go. We'll use the word verbose. It's like, oh, this man talks. This man's verbosious. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's too smart of a word, though. Not for the Zoomer generation. No, back yeah. when, back in my generation, Damn Zoomers. Back in my generation, we were uh, things were different and better because you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. Precisely. But Man, I could go on an hour-long conversation about nostalgia and how it's uh, destroying us, but I feel like we probably don't have enough time for that. Maybe, sadly. maybe another time. Maybe, but, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe in the in the in the next year when we're in the next decade. In we'll the season two, season two. Hindsight is 2020. 2020. Yeah, there we go. Hey. That's a good transition into transition. All right.